I'm guessing there are a number of you who have probably been or tried going downhill skiing. I have to admit, I haven't really done it since I was maybe 10 or 12 years old. And even, even then, it was a, one of those, they call them, I guess, green slopes. One of the really gentle slopes that's really smooth and easy. And it was a very short hill, I think. Of course, they, they let you know what you're getting into, right? They, they tell you with those signs. If you see a, a green light, that means it's going to be easy. There'll be no obstacles. If, if it's, I think the next color is what, blue, perhaps? And then if you see that, then you know it's maybe a little bit more challenging and you want to watch out because there's going to be a steeper grade and maybe a few obstacles. And then you get to the expert, the, the black diamond, or the expert, expert, two black diamonds. And if you see that, that means watch out because not every cliff is marked and there could be some rocks jutting up and don't expect the grade to be anything maybe less than 45 degrees. There are stories of some skiers who find themselves accidentally going on the wrong slope. They maybe are prepared to go down this green slope or blue slope and they're a beginner and then they see the sign on the side that says they're on the expert, expert or expert only slope. In which case, what do you do? You can't turn back. You can't really climb up the hill and take your skis off and slide further. And you're told not to call for the ski patrol because that's only after you're injured. What do you do? It's too late. There's no turning back. Sometimes it might seem like sin is that way. But there's simply no turning back. And you've taken the corner and you've gone down the slope and you, you can't do anything about it and you're desperately pleading, what shall I do? I don't know if you felt that way recently, but there are people in this world who feel it often as if they are on that steep slope and they don't know where to turn or how to navigate. But what we see in God's word today is when there was a crowd of people that were cut to the heart and realized they had made terrible mistake, probably the worst mistake, the worst wrong turn in history. And they ask, what do we do? And there we find in God's word today in Acts chapter 2, the apostles giving the answer. It's actually not what we are to do, but it's God's rescue. As Christ lives, our living God, he pours out just what is needed to his church and gives us his spirit, his rescue, and the answer is found here in the word of our God. See, the people in the day of Pentecost, about 50 days now after Jesus had risen to life, are gathered and we read last week how Peter was explaining to them that Jesus fulfilled God's plan. And now they begin to hear the next stage of that plan, Jesus who was raised to life. We read from Acts 2 starting at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Sounds like good news, right? This is wonderful that, that Jesus lives. Peter goes on. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, Jesus not only rose to life, he is now seated at what's called the right hand of the Father. And at the right hand of God, he's in a position of all authority and power. This risen Jesus, Peter's saying, he's on his throne. He reigns. And as he's on his throne, he has the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he's pouring out. 
And actually that crowd, they saw those gifts being poured out as they, they heard the apostles speaking in their own language and they, they heard the rushing sound of thunder and they heard the wonders of God in their own tongues by these Galileans. It was because Jesus was pouring out his spirit with his gifts. The Holy Spirit was giving gifts to the church. Sounds, once again, like this is good news. But Peter goes on. David did not ascend into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's what Jesus is doing. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh-oh. This crowd that had stood there on Pentecost, many of them were the same people, the same crowd who had cried out just 50 days earlier, crucify him. In fact, Peter's going to get into that. This Jesus who's now reigning is reigning as a powerful king who puts his enemies under his feet. And Peter says, therefore, let all Israel, let all of you, you crowd, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now Jesus was, as Jesus, as Peter explained earlier, he always is God, true God and Lord. But here, according to his human nature, Jesus is seated at God's right hand. And this very same man, Jesus, that they crucified is now Lord and the chosen one. Suddenly, this crowd on Pentecost heard that they had taken the worst turn in history. Peter very directly tells them, you crucified him, but now he is Lord, and he reigns on his throne, and he puts his enemies under his feet. It's not a position you want to be in, is it? The crowd, it says, heard this, and they were cut to the heart. They were on the expert, expert-only path, and there was a cliff which they were about to go over. What were they to do? You know, you and I maybe haven't clamored with that crowd, crucify Christ, but they came to the realization that they had made a wrong turn against God. That happens all the time in this world. It happens all the time when the person whose life is just completely in shambles realized that they were wrong and now they're sitting in jail. And they're thinking as well as they're cut to the heart, I made a bad decision, a wrong turn. What am I to do? Or maybe you know someone who shattered the relationship with their spouse or their, their children and they broke that relationship because of their own anger, their own fault, and to their loss. And they're thinking, what have I done? What shall I do? And they're cut to the heart. Of course, isn't it every time that one of us turns against God? Ought we not be cut to the heart as we realize what we have done, that Jesus is seated on his throne and we have defied him in our thoughts or maybe our, our actions, and he is going to put all of his enemies under his feet, rightly so, as the exalted God. But notice the response of Peter. Yes, Jesus rightly crushes his enemies under his feet as he sits in all authority. But what we see is his response is he gives his gifts, pours out his spirit in rescue. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, you have to remove your skis, you have to climb off the side, and you have to make your way back down the hill safely, otherwise you will die. No, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. His solution was really to do nothing. It was to turn aside from that evil sin that they were turned in, to turn from sin and to God to no longer love that sin which they had once chosen, but to love the mercy of God, to repent. And as this word of God called them to repentance, Peter gave them the wonderful promise of a gift. He said, and be baptized, every one of you. You know, if you know someone who's taken that wrong turn in life and they're suffering and they're wondering, what must I do? Here's a place you can turn them to. If you think that you've done something so bad that you can't turn away from that sin and God is going to send you off the cliff, look at this. These are the very same people who called out for the crucifixion of Jesus, God's Son, and who themselves killed the author of life. And yet they hear these words, Be baptized, every one of you. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, that means in connection with everything that's taught about this Lord and Christ, what he has done. To be baptized in the name of Christ is to be baptized in the name of the one who was crucified for you, who took the weight of sin for you, who navigated through that life perfectly, made it to the goal, and invites you to freely pass The name of Christ is the name of the one who himself bore our sins and rose again in victory. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice, we're not told what we must do. We're not told we must make up for it. We're not told we better try harder so we can make it to our goal. He simply says, be baptized, all of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And here we see, not only did God pour out his spirit to the apostles, but he now promises to pour it out to everyone with baptism. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, when that water is poured or washes over, because it's connected with the name of our triune God, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift includes the forgiveness of sins, the gift of new life and a new heart of faith. It includes the gift of the Spirit himself who intercedes on your behalf and with it, forgiveness, life, salvation. You know, I I read up on the, the ski situation that if you're on an expert path, what are you supposed to do if you're one of those green or blue skiers? And everybody said, don't call for help do this. And they they gave a couple different solutions, either strafing side to side. Maybe some of them said, remove your skis. Others said, don't remove your skis. Others said, try climbing back up. Others said, maybe you can go sideways to a different course. They were all things that you were supposed to do. But this, this is more like the people on the Titanic. The boat is sinking and there's nothing you can do unless God gives that lifeboat. And he says, here is your salvation. Here is your rescue. But it's more than a lifeboat, it's it's a helicopter. It swoops you away to freedom. 
And you are forever forgiven and free because of the work of our Christ, who, because he rose, is now Lord and Messiah, ruling over all things to rescue and save his church. He lives to pour out his spirit. And Peter says, this promise, see, baptism is a promise, is for you and for your children, for all who our Lord God will call. Everyone needs this. The, the children that are born into this world are born on a path they can't navigate. They're born to face sin and death and hell. But with baptism, they receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. They receive the rescue in the Spirit, which God promises them, which he promises all who he calls by his gospel. And all who believe are saved. It says here, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. God's rescue found as he gives his Spirit. And then it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Take note that to be added to their number means to be brought into the kingdom of God, to be a, a child of God rescued from sin and death. And notice they were counted as added to their number as those who were baptized. Because God pours out his gifts and pours out his spirit. He continues to pour out the gifts to his church, like the apostles, that we might speak his word. And he continues, as the gospel is shared, to pour out his spirit with a washing with water through the word to bring forgiveness and new life. Maybe you know someone who's at that point where they're noticing the path they're on and they're seeing how hopeless it is and they're crying out, what shall I do? God pours out his spirit to rescue you and to rescue all who are the Lord our God will call. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all. He lives to pour out his spirit. Amen.